All right, everybody. Let's get the Dogger and Muddy Music Podcast back underway. For those of you who did or maybe did not notice, Muddy and I disappeared for a while. After today's interview session, I will review with you where we have been and the changes we have made for moving forward with the podcast. With that said, let's jump into episode 37 of the damn show, i.e. the Dogger and Muddy Music Podcast. Based on a recent U.S. Census report, 1,000 people are moving to Texas every day. That is over 365,000 new Texans a year. That is great news for Texas, but it also brings its challenges, one of which is gentrification. To handle the population growth, many times financially disenfranchised people are squeezed out of their homes so that new condos and office buildings can move in. Interestingly enough, this can also carry over into the teardown of historic bars and music venues. This is exactly what was scheduled to happen to the Saxon Pub down in Austin, Texas, a small but important music locale down here in the live music capital of the world. Well, a key individual stepped in to stop this from happening. One heck of a story? Well, our guests today are the director and producers for the documentary Nothing Stays the Same, the story of the Saxon Pub. The initial film work for the documentary focused on paying tribute to the history of the music venue, about to be torn down. Then, as mentioned earlier, a white knight arrived and the documentary turned into a fantastic tale about music lovers saving the Saxon Pub. Austin and the state of Texas have taken notice of this strong individual and community commitment. It strengthens their pledge to promote Texas music and maintain its history. Amy, can you kick off the show? I want to start talking with Jeff Sandman, the director, and Lisa K. Fannin-Steele, and Jeffrey Brown, the producers. At the end of the show, I'll also talk with you about our civil rights pilgrimage this past spring. Amy, let's rock and roll. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? All right, campers. Muddy, my co-host and Chocolate Lab Rescue are here in Austin, Texas. We are sitting outside at the Radio Coffee and Beer location. Our guests today are the director and producers for the music documentary, Nothing Stays the Same, the story of the Saxon Pub. Jeff Sandman is the director. He's earned three Telly Awards. He was involved in Netflix's Dave Chappelle, Deep in the Heart of Texas. He's done multiple tribute videos for the Texas Heritage Songwriters Hall of Fame. That's where he met Saxon Pub owner Joe Abels, and he'll get into that some. And his production company is called Jumper Productions. One of the producers is Lisa K. Fawn and Steele. Lisa was named Executive Director of Movability in March of 2018. She was previously the Director of Special Events at Austin's downtown St. David's Episcopal Church since 2008. She led in the creation of the venue's acoustically advantageous space for live music shows and events, which quickly got uh, adopted and utilized by Austin Film Festival as well as South by Southwest. And the other producer is Jeffrey Brown. Jeffrey has produced several award-winning narratives, co-produced No No, a documentary on outspoken 1970s baseball player Doc Ellis. He was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's also done uh, two fascinating uh, documentaries on Africa. One is Punk in Africa. The other one is Pirating Pirates on the Somali Pirates, nominated for the prestigious 
Kotetsky Award. Uh, I'll let Jeffrey correct me later on. on that. And then the other one that I'm pumped about is Every Night's a Saturday Night, the Bobby Key story on the Rolling Stones legendary sax man. Let's start talking about Saxon Pub. One of the realities about Texas is that lots of people want to move here. Well, that leads to a lot of construction of office buildings and condos. One of the sad results of that is gentrification. People with low financial means get squeezed out. In Austin, this can also lead to the teardown of legendary bar and music venues. Well, when you're known as the music capital of the world, that's a real issue. So let's jump into understanding this documentary, and let me start with Lisa and talk about, can you give us kind of an update or an intro to Saxon Pub? Sure. The Saxon Pub is a cute little pub on South Lamar. It's been there for about 30 years. It's pretty small, a little bit hard to miss or hard to see these days with all the construction, but it seats about 150 people, and anybody who's ever played music who's, you know, kind of in the blues Americana realm in Austin, has played there. Everybody from Stephen Bruton and Rusty Weird to Nakia, Bob Schneider. Um, It's a great little place. It feels like home. It hasn't changed much in 30 years. Just a real authentic place to go where musicians love to play. Yeah, I think the walls are like covered with one autographed picture after another of one one legendary artist, musical artist after another, right, that's played there. Yeah, that's correct. There are photographs all over the place of, of musicians who have played there. If you're not looking at a photograph, you're looking at good old cedar, and the cedar makes the sound in that room really nice. Right. A few years back, with all the construction going on in Austin, Saxon Pub was at risk, right? That's right. A few years ago, um, they were in fear of losing their lease. Um, Joe Abels, the owner of the pub, did not own the land, and they were the the owner was considering selling it so that you know for a bigger and better use, and he was either going to have to close or move. Yeah, which which isn't, and again, going back to the music capital of Austin, Texas, that's a real issue. It's an know. ongoing problem, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But somebody came along and decided to save the situation. That's right. There was an angel in the middle of our story when we thought they were going to have to move or um, end up closing down. One of the real estate moguls in Austin decided to buy the property instead and paid an exorbitant amount of money and declared it always to be a music club and said that Joe Abels and the Saxon could stay there for as long as they wanted to. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. I mean, It's remarkable, especially from somebody in his industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jeff, you met Joe. Can you kind of take us from there as to how this led to a movie then? Sure thing. I knew Joe, as you mentioned, through the Texas Heritage Songwriters. I had known him for, at that point, about five or six years. And when it was pointed out to me that the Saxon Pub would be relocating and moving from their original groovy little spot on South Lamar, um, which, you know, if you've been around this town long enough, that's akin to closing, essentially, or not being around much longer, because it it seldom seems to work successfully. Antones has had some success. They're on, I think, their sixth location, but they are definitely the exception to that rule. It adds huge risk. Yeah. 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 So when I heard that news, I thought, well, this is a great idea for a documentary. If nothing else, a love letter. Very simply, just get in there, shoot some great performances from the artists who play there, interview them, have them tell us what it means to them, and are, are you nervous about the move? How do you feel about it? And most of them were very nervous about the move and, quite frankly, very bummed out about it. 
So that was the original idea. It was just a very simple idea. And very early on, like the first week or two, I got together with Lisa Kay here, and she agreed to help me put some of this stuff together and help me produce, essentially. And we spent the first couple of years just shooting, shooting, performances, interviews, anything you can think of, interviews with patrons, people that work there, the sound guy, Richard Vinoy, who, who, by the way, has been there since pretty much day one. And a lot of people say he's probably seen more live music in this town than anyone. <laughs> something like 25,000 sets over the years or something crazy like that. Yeah, until, until Gary Keller stepped in and sort of changed our story, it was just going to be a very simple love letter and something that we could document and just have this piece of film to remember this, the old Saxon pub by. Luckily, that's not how it turned out, and we ended up with a kind of a different story and a, and a wonderful ending, quite frankly. Oh, so that's fascinating. So when you started this, you had a sense that it was going away. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, for uh, about two years, the first two years of the project, the, that, that was our story. <laughs> was they're going away, and what does this place mean to you? Like I said, you know, a lot of people were bummed out about it. Patrice Pike says, we have to really figure out what do we think is valuable and what is important, and does it always have to do with making a profit? And I love that line because yeah. it, it just couldn't be truer, you know. It, it, Austin's known for, for live music culture, and... It's being threatened. It's being threatened every day. Two of the two of the spots in our film are gone now already. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we're going through a similar thing up in Dallas, down in the in in, sure. in um, the Bishop Arts District. I mean, all the money's moving in there, and restaurants that have been there for forty years have been squeezed out, and and the Kessler Theater to me is one of the best. In, in the sure. North Texas area, one of the best small music venues. It's just fantastic. And hopefully they'll be able to stay there because this stuff is really important. Maybe explore the importance to the community. That Yeah, especially the Saxon Pub. I mean, community is the perfect word to use. The musicians that play there, this is where they come to watch each other play. This is, yeah. it feels like a clubhouse for Austin musicians almost. And the owners are just lovely to them. And they're, you know, the, the the musicians love the Abels family. Joe and Judy Abels are their names. And they always say, you know, we're treated well, we're treated with respect, we're paid fairly, and we're treated to this wonderful little listening room that, you know, with lovely acoustics, you never have to worry about the sound. It's a hit with musicians, for sure. You also mentioned earlier that you, for two years you were, you were cutting tapes on this. So how many hours of tape do you have and then that you had to work down to narrow into a, a documentary of uh, 90 minutes to 100 minutes something like yeah. that I haven't added it all up but people people have been asking that question and I'm I'm estimating somewhere between three and four hundred hours of, of video yeah to get it down <laughs> to 71 minutes also during the course of the two years the arc of your story changed sure yeah. and it ended up being a four-year project yeah. Oh, wow. And, and the arc of the story, when we found out Gary Keller came in and was going to buy the place and keep the sex in there forever, uh, this was before Jeffrey was involved, but Lisa Kay and I, when we heard the news, we were ecstatic, but then we were like, what just happened to the story that we've been telling? Well, it took us about two minutes to think about it before we realized, oh, wait, this is a much better story, and let's, we're going to follow this new story, and it's, and it's, a, it's a happier story. Absolutely. For sure. Jeffrey Brown, you got involved. Why did you jump into the middle of this as well? Um, I had met uh, Jeff and Lisa Kay on another project. I had been a part of another music film, which had a similar storyline uh, about the broken spoke. 
It's called Honky Tonk Heaven. And so new kind of new, you know, saw some similarities between the, the two stories. And I've just done a number of uh, music docs and was able to bring some of that experience to the project and maybe help encourage uh, developing the bigger picture. I, I was part of a music film festival years ago and saw a lot of music film festivals and a lot of times uh, music documentaries about venues just tell the story of the venue and don't touch on the the bigger picture so we wanted to capture the bigger picture of what's going on in Austin and so uh, maybe it was helpful on that in that way there's two parallel stories of you know it's being told through the lens of the Saxon pub but maybe helping us develop a little bit the uh, the bigger picture you know, more strength to what you were saying, what Jeff suggested earlier is, you know, it's community, but it's also a place where people can get their start, um, and they can get their start in, in a place that has some some history and a place which demands that they bring their, their A game, and one of the performers in, in our film, Robin Shane, talks about that, that she came and she auditioned right, right there for Joe in the bar with a guitar, and so there is some sense of develop... If, you can say developing artists and giving them a chance to to blossom uh, on a smaller stage, a good listening room with a loving, accepting audience. So people are are given the love they need to keep going and and perhaps make mistakes um, and then you know become bigger. Let's say, um, but I also think there's a sense of people always wanting to come back and play, regardless of where their career goes. Um, if it gets if it gets very big, people still like to come back and play because it's a good listening room. It's very much about the music, uh, first and foremost, and it's a, you know, probably it's 150 to 200 people fit in, but it still remains, it still remains intimate. So has this changed the viewpoint of the city towards these bars and musical venues? So it's interesting with the city of Austin, or probably any city, because Austin isn't the first or the only one that's faced what is happening where the success of a city is driving out the very thing that made it cool. So the city of Austin has done several things to help the musicians. For instance, we have a music district called the Red River Cultural District in downtown. They've got a lot of cool bars down there, Mohawk and Stubbs and a variety of others. And they did a pilot program to extend the sound ordinance throughout an evening to, so that the, the bands could play longer. And what they found was it wasn't nearly as detrimental to the new residents that moved you know, close to a to a music venue, and they wanted to complain about it, but they didn't have very many complaints. They saw that the musicians and the clubs were all making more money, and that pilot was successful. And now there's talks about making a policy or an initiative to extend that. Ooh, yeah. that's huge. That's very huge. Um, additionally, that would be a city city uh, uh-huh, a city uh, policy or okay. initiative. And then last November in the election, there was a bond proposal, and there was um, it was a twelve million dollar bond for the arts specifically, and that isn't just for musicians; that's for creatives of all types. But they are looking at a mosaic hub or some kind of a creative hub so that the creatives can go to one particular area and get what they need. The city also has brought music industry into town, which is something that Austin kind of lacks. Like Nashville has a lot of business side of music where Austin really doesn't. But um, not too long ago, BMI moved into Austin. They have an office right, here. Right, that was a huge announcement. That's huge. Yeah. And they're, they're continuing to work to get other industry professionals into Austin so that the musicians can further their career on a larger scale through that business. 
It's always an interesting conversation. Some people think that it's not the city's place or the government's place to take care of creatives and musicians, and others think that the cities aren't doing nearly enough. So where the balance lies, I think the city of Austin does a good job on limited resources. Yeah, well, adding to that, the the governor actually has a gentleman or a group of people reporting to him that are responsible specifically for Texas music. That's right. They have a music con- commission statewide. Not all states do that. So that's, no, that's very, quite, very few. Yes, it's, it's quite impressive. And then we also have nonprofits that really care about the musicians. There's Ham, there's Sims, there's All ATX, there's Black Fret. They all... Um, have different focus areas, but it's all on the musician, so that they have other other resources so that they can you know continue to live and hopefully thrive in this economy. Yeah, I think one of the ones you mentioned is is a healthcare focused one, right. right? That's Health Alliance for Austin Musicians, um, known as HAM, H A A. Yeah, yeah. Musicians if, if anybody, don't have if, insurance. Yeah, if, uh, the musician you typically see in your community, ask them what they make in a year, and you'll you know it's. It's a challenging world financially. It really is. Um, in our story, I think it was Guy Forsyth who said that the average musician makes something like $15,000 a year. Yeah. And then I was just at the um, Future of Downtown Austin event where Patrice Pike, one of our local musicians, a wonderful musician and a great person, um, spoke to the audience. And she was stating that when she moved here back, and I think it was 1998, a cover for one of her shows was $10. And the cover for her show now is $10. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Inflation doesn't cooperate. It on, really doesn't. It really doesn't. <laughs> that kind of a situation. Yeah. Jeff, can you take us through uh, one of your points was, which I really liked, was different artists are sitting in the audience. So I would assume there's stories about when one artist is up on stage and then somebody jumps up to join them or, you know, maybe all of a sudden a band is created after somebody plays one night. Can you take us through some stories like that? For sure. There's a lot of cross-pollination that, that happens at the Saxon Pub. You see different people playing with different people constantly. Uh, our running joke is uh, there's a fellow named Bruce Hughes who plays bass and sings here in town. After you watch our film, try to guess how many different bands he's playing in in this film. <laughs> Did you catch them all? Because he he plays with the Resentments, he plays with Bob Schneider, he plays with Johnny Nicholas. It goes on and on. And uh, you know he has he has a funny line in the film: "One more day, and Joe's going to put me on the company health plan." <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> if there only was such a thing. But yes, uh, the, the, you never know who you're going to see. When you when you when you go to the Saxon Pub, because anybody could be sit, sitting in with anybody at any given time. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love it, Jeffrey. The film's won two awards and been and been shown at three festivals. Uh, South by Southwest, you won the Audience Award winner at the Hill Country Film Festival. You received the Best Texas Film, and then you were recently just up at the Dallas International Film Festival and got rave reviews up there. Can you tell us about the distribution of the film and how how people can take a look at it? We don't have distribution yet. We're going to continue a festival run uh, through the summer and in probably in through the through the end of the year. When distribution takes place, it will probably be late in the year or the beginning of next year. I don't know if most of your listeners are in Dallas, but we'll uh, yeah we did play the Dallas festival. We'll probably try to play again, hopefully at the Texas Theater. It's a, a documentary f- friendly venue. Um, who knows? Maybe it'll play in the Fort Worth Festival. Uh, we'll have to see. That's also in November. We'll probably be the AFS Cinema in the summer, the Austin Film Society Cinema here. And then uh, probably it's looking like we'll be with the Alamo Draft House, at least in Austin and possibly other venues. 
but I think we'll, you know, we'll definitely focus on the Texas festivals. I have good connections there. I've played a number of other films uh, at some of these places. And I think that's where we'll have our strongest, our strongest interest. But uh, we're definitely uh, going to look to play it in other cities which are going through similar situations with gentrification. It's, it's not just uh, Austin, Texas or even Oak Cliff. You know, it's uh, a lot of places around the country. So we're hoping that that universal story will help the film travel. And uh, we've always had that. That's always been our intention. But right now we're going to enjoy some festivals and see what comes up next. The, I live within two miles of both the Texas Theater and one of the Alamo Draft Houses. So I got to get on your email distribution list so I can help okay. get all my friends and all of my Dallas listeners uh, over there to, to enjoy the show. Right. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Okay, doing the festivals is one thing. Yeah. Getting it into distribution, what are some of the challenges with making that happen? Uh, crowded marketplace, oversaturated marketplace, but you know we have some good things going for us. We did win a we did win an award at a big one of the biggest festivals in the country, in the music documentary category. Um, it's really kind of a question of uh, choosing who to work with, and uh, what's the best fit, and who who takes the you know just like any like any business relationship or any really relationship at all. What what's our what's the best fit, and who can do the most with the film, and you know who do we like. You know, who's going to answer the phone when we call? And you just kind of prioritize those things. Now, if you go to the the website is Saxon... Saxonfilm.com. Yeah, Saxonfilm.com. And you'll go up there and there's... You guys are more than happy to accept donations, I believe, right? Very happy to accept donations. Um, the more, the better. Um, we have a fiscal sponsorship through the Austin Film Festival. So all donations that come... I'm sorry, the Austin Film Society... Uh, so all donations that made that are made to us through the society are tax deductible. Um, Excellent. Since we are, you know, we are not a nonprofit. The three of us combined, though, we lucky enough to have them be our fiscal sponsor for us. Jeff, I just wanted to add. Uh, she's not with us today, but our editor Nancy Higgins, she is so instrumental in in how this film ended up being really so entertaining and fun to watch. Our names are at the top of the credit list, but in many ways, this is Nancy's film. She right. just knocked it out of the park with this, and I just wanted to give her props. That's great. How did you get this far? I mean, it's a challenge to put out a movie like this, how, how, you know, with very limited funds. How did you get this far? Yeah, it has really been challenging, but we've also been really very blessed and lucky to have an enormous amount of people believe in a bunch of people who, you know, we're first-time filmmakers, Jeff and I, and we're lucky that Jeffrey agreed to work with us um, in midstream. But without the support of the Austin musicians who had faith that we were going to tell their story accurately and with sensitivity, and the patrons of the club, of, of the Saxon Pub, I mean, they've, they've just been wonderful. The regulars there are an amazing group of people, and they've welcomed us at every turn of a bend because we were there so often filming so many bands and so many interviews and the staff of the Saxon, Leah, the Bart, the manager of the club opened the club for us so many times so we could have interviews shot before they actually opened and just having all of them push us forward and believing in us and encouraging us and spreading the word about when we needed money and when we were getting ready to world premiere it was fantastic and without their support and without their community we never would have raised the money even with our very with our kickstarter which is how we started this so i would assume from what you're saying is is once you started the word got out that you were doing this 
did more and more artists come forward and say, I've got, I've got something to say. Oh, so our first day with the musicians was quite remarkable. So we, you know, we had this idea. We presented it to Joe. He was on board with it. And our first thing was we needed to start a Kickstarter because we had no money. And one of our Kickstarter rewards, what we wanted to do was have a photograph of some of the more notable Saxon musicians. So Joe agreed to get a few of them there. And Mary Bruton, the, um, Stephen Bruton's widow, agreed to photograph this, this picture for us. She's a wonderful photographer. And we were hoping maybe we'd have eight, maybe ten people show up. And we had almost 40. 40. 40. And it was... Uh, four, 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 almost five times what your yes. expectations. They just kept pouring in and, you know, we... we we were prepared for what we wanted to ask them. You know, it's like we wanted to tell them about our project, what, how we wanted to move forward, how kind of we thought we needed their support and to contact us if, if they wanted to participate in any way. And it just took off from there. I mean, they believed in us from the very beginning and they didn't even know us. Wow. So very generous, kind-hearted people. I also want to add, uh, I want to talk about Jeffrey for a second. We were in this for about two years and we uh, Lisa and I were it was suggested that we take a film a documentary filmmaker master class and Jeffrey was the teacher so it was turned out to be a day really well spent because we, we learned what he was you know we learned a lot that day but we also connected with Jeffrey on a personal level and he came in initially as an advisor but he ended up being a producer and held our hands the whole way through the, the really serious kind of filmmaking part of this. And, and uh, you know, how, how does this work? And what do we do, you know, about this problem? And Jeffrey was there to answer a lot of those questions and guide us. And he was very instrumental in helping us get to the finish line with this thing. But, yes, uh, if you go to saxonfilm.com, you can uh, kind of stay up to date with, with what the film's doing and where it's playing. Also, Facebook, we're at... Saxon movie on Facebook. Oh, very good. Okay, which is not confusing at all. But <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and um, and that's that's where you can go to. That's the best. Those are the best two spots you can go to kind of see where you can catch the film. Right. And again, the film's called Nothing Stays the Same: The Story of the Saxon Pub. Our guests today have been Jeff, Jeff Sandman, Lisa K. Fawnensteel, and Jeffrey Brown. This has been a blast. It's always great to be in Austin, Texas. And uh, tune in next week. We'll have another guest and another great story. Thank you all very, very much for participating today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doug. That was a great show. Be sure to check the www.saxonfilm.com website from time to time for movie showings in your neck of the woods. All right. Back to the question I asked at the beginning of the show. Where have Muddy and I been? Let me shoot straight with you. The relationship side of putting together a music podcast is a real treat. The people I meet, network, and interview are fantastic. But when you are predominantly a one-man shop, the detail work on putting a show can get tough and seriously time-consuming. Well, you may say, what about your partner, Muddy? can he help? If you haven't been to our website, you may not have noticed, but Muddy's a dog. A super brown chocolate lab rescue, a good muse, but nevertheless, a dog. So he offers limited assistance to me in networking, appointment setting, prep, scripting, equipment setup, which may include driving to the location, the actual interview session, pack up, editing, and publication. So over the last couple months, I took some time off to travel, 
and to soul search on how to proceed with the podcast. I'm ecstatic to announce that I now have a partner in the editing front, Phil Polson, whose day-to-day gig is production work at State Fair Records. He has taken the lead for me on the editing front. Phil, welcome to the Dogger and Muddy team. Your assistance is greatly appreciated. I mean greatly appreciated. Hey, I mentioned travel. Well, one of the trips we took this spring was a civil rights pilgrimage through Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia. It was a heart-wrenching and knowledge-soaked trip. Our stops included Emmett Till's brutal murder site, Medgar Evers' home where he was gunned down, the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, the Montgomery Bus Terminal where the Freedom Riders were unmercifully beaten, 16th Street Baptist Church where four young girls died in a bomb explosion, and many, many other stops along the way. We learned a ton and shed many a tear. If you can't take the pilgrimage yourself, there are two books I recommend you read. Number one, Walking with the Wind, a memoir of the movement by Congressman John Lewis. And number two, White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo and Michael Eric Dyson. Till next time, play your music loud.